Hey, thanks so much for joining me on I Used to Be a Therapist podcast. Today's episode is part of the Transformation Project series, and I just really can't wait to share it with you. I'm talking with my new friend, Amy Dickinson. Amy lives in the Appalachian Mountains. We talked about that a little bit in Virginia, and she's a mom of three kiddos. She is the author of the blog, No Part Missing, and has recently launched a really ingenious course called Forged in Fire. She has quite a story of love and betrayal and moving forward through the hurt to lots of happiness. Part of her story is that Amy and her husband had been married for 10 years when she found out that he was gay and in a relationship with someone else. They still tried working on maintaining their marriage, but after lots of painful months, they ended up ending the relationship. And her story is full of this pain and betrayal, but also faith and forgiveness and restoration. Let's listen in. I'm Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing life stories, interviews, and information that I know will be of value to you and to your life and to the lives that you touch. If you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I hope that this is a place where you feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for being on our show and being on my podcast. This is super fun to get to meet you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to hearing your story. So I introduced you a little bit already in the intro, but I want you, first of all, before we get into all of this, just to tell us a little bit about yourself, about who you live with, where you live, all that stuff. Okay. Well, um, I live with my three kids and they're young. I have a 10-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a Mm five-year-old. And we live in the Appalachian Mountains of Virginia. And it's Appalachia if you live here. It's Appalachian if you're not from here. Yeah, that would be me. I would say (laughs) Appalachian. So it's Appalachian. Exactly. Okay. Good to know. Appalachian. So I live in Oregon and people say the same thing like Oregon, but it's really Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, so we live here deep in the mountains, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And I grew up in Virginia, but I grew up in the suburbs of D.C. in an amazing Christian family. And um, I moved down here when I married my ex-husband. Uh-huh. We were here for 10 years, and okay. then I found out he was gay. Okay, so we're going to jump right into your story. Before we get into it too much, I want to hear a little bit about your, like, what do you do for a job? What do you? Okay, well, um, I am currently teaching part time at a local college. I teach public health. And, um, but this will be my last semester. I worked for almost 10 years in public health at the local health department and the state health department and where I was an epidemiologist and I worked with gay men that would test positive for HIV and syphilis. And then I would get their contacts, their sex partners, um, 
treated and then I would get any needle sharing partners treated and tested as well. So that was my life for 10 years. And after I found out everything, I realized I I don't need to do this work any longer. Sure. So I quit my health department job and it was the biggest blessing of my life. So now you're blogging. Now I'm blogging and I am speaking to women about my testimony because it's more than a story. You know, stories are what we tell our kids at night and they always have a happy tied up ribbon at the end of each story. They're just so neat and perfect. And that's not life. So it's not my story. It's my testimony because I'm ongoing, just changing constantly. I'm just evolving. And it's so exciting to see how God is just transforming my life. But it's been a hard transition. I bet. So you are a strong woman of faith. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing even more about that. So now I know that the story goes like you already said a little bit that you found out your husband was gay. And that was Mm -hmm. kind of the event that changed everything. So I want to go back Mm -hmm. a little bit before that. Mm -hmm. What was your life like? before that life-changing experience? It was perfect from the outside looking in. Okay. And what were your your expectations of, you know, your future, what it was going to look like? You know, I was very preoccupied on giving the illusion of perfection. Mm -hmm. It came really naturally. Like, I'm just one of these people that I'm a doer, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, Um, I had kids and I didn't just go at it halfway. Like I made their baby food. I sewed my kids clothes. Oh my. Uh, we homeschooled for a while. I mean, it just, I don't halfway do anything. So, um, when I set my mind to something, watch out because it's going to get done. Like all in. Oh yeah, completely. And so that's how I was with my marriage. That's how I was with my children. That's how I was with my work um, at the health department. That's how I was uh, with our farm. We started very small. We started, I had horses prior to marrying my husband. And so we bought a small farm where we live. And then we got chickens and chickens are the gateway livestock, you know, you you think you can raise chickens so you can handle everything. Mm -hmm. So then we got pigs and then we got cows and then I got a milk cow and I was out milking my cow and, you know, making sausage. I was hosting sausage making classes here on the farm. And, um, (laughs) I mean, it was kind of surreal. Like I, I did it all yeah, and I loved it. And I really loved my life. I'm just, I, I can't, say that enough. Like, I think that was the thing that I grieved the most was that my life was so charmed. Now, telling you all the wonderful things about my life, I had great sadness, um, Mm -hmm. but I didn't let that on. I didn't let people see that. Mm -hmm. I had great disappointments with my marriage. Um, What were those? I, I ultimately knew there was a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And I questioned him infrequently, but I mean, I, over the years I questioned him, and then I stopped because it was always my fault. 
So I got tired of everything being my fault. So I just shut up about it. And I just pretended that everything was perfect and everything was great until it wasn't. Mm. So was there a moment, like, tell us about the moment that you knew that your life was not going to be the same. It was June 7th of 2018. Mm -hmm. We were in our brand new home that uh, we had just built. Mm -hmm. We lived in a camper for eight months while our house was being built Mm -hmm. on the land where we kept our animals. We had just moved in maybe six months prior. We moved in right at Christmas of 17. I was popping popcorn at my microwave and I'm just standing there waiting for it to, you know, ding. And I look over and my ex-husband's phone was sitting there on the counter. And he was one of these guys that he was not attached to his phone. It was not an appendage. He wasn't always in front of it. He always fussed at me because I was always the one that was so um, just involved with my phone and checking email and checking social media, you know, Um, that was not him. And he didn't have friends. And so he never really was texting anybody unless it was his mom and dad or his brother or something like that, Mm -hmm. or me. So when I saw a private message on Facebook pop up on his phone, I took notice and I noticed a name And I had recognized this name because I had gone through his friends list on Facebook before. And I was just like, I don't remember him ever mentioning this guy. And I remember asking about him. And he was like, oh, it was a guy that I used to travel with, you know, back in the day. And I'm like, this guy is openly gay. There there was just such an unrest Mm -hmm. and just a knowing, if that makes sense. And I was just like, I wasn't buying what he was selling. And so when I saw this name pop up on his phone, I knew something wasn't right. And I started reading the messages and I had to read them twice. And it was talking about their love affair and how they had been the loves of each other's lives. And this guy, he kept saying, I don't understand how you're married. I don't understand how you have three kids. Like, this isn't you. You know, and it was just, it was a love story that I was reading and I was not in it at all. Yeah. Can I ask you where, when you read those and you're like standing there in that moment, where did you feel all of the feelings or whatever the feeling was? Maybe, what, mm-hmm. first of all, what was that feeling? Confirmation. I had always suspected he was gay. So it was like there was this confirmation, but was there another, Mm -hmm. like you knew all of a sudden, like, okay, uh, now I know for sure. Mm -hmm. It answered so many questions. Oh, sure. It answered so many questions. I bet. And did you have some sort of a sinking feeling in your, in your body somewhere? Where was that in your body? Whenever I, um, I get called on something or I get caught doing something I shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. or if someone gets me. Do you know what I mean? Like sure. they like in that aha moment, I have a flash of heat that goes up my face and down. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a wave of heat and I remember feeling that. That was the feeling. as I was reading that yeah. love letter and it took I think seven months because it just resided in my chest. It it took up residence in my chest, the terror and the fear and the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember standing at my kitchen sink, not being able to catch a good breath and just 
literally thinking I just need to take a deep breath and I would and the it it, didn't matter that heaviness was still there sure yeah what was your first reaction to that um I was horrified and I was so sad because I knew I could never not not see that you know what I mean so I couldn't ever not know that Mm-hmm. now that I couldn't unsee it or unread it in my mind. And uh, I'm an outside processor. I'm one of these people I have to talk it out. Sure. And my ex is the polar opposite. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember that I was getting the kids ready for bed and I was popping popcorn so that we could watch a TV show that we enjoyed watching after the kids go to bed. So I remember putting my phone down or putting his phone down and going down the hallway and putting my kids to bed. And I didn't skip a beat. I sang them their lullabies. I prayed with them, tucked them in tight. I got the popcorn bowl, went into our bedroom, which is right across the hallway from my kids' room and closed the door, changed into my nightgown and sat on the edge of the bed. And I just very calmly said, I read, I read the private message is there something you want to talk about? Mm. And that's how I addressed it. I didn't yell at him. I didn't cuss at him. I didn't go into some fit. I just wanted answers. And, and he didn't want to talk about it. It I could tell that he was incredibly ashamed. And I remember him saying over and over, you weren't supposed to find out. Uh, That's just, that's super hard. As you had that, and there's this all this grief and sadness, and you're in this moment of catching, you know, you can't catch your breath, and all Mm -hmm. of that. It's so overwhelming sometimes, right? Did you go kind of into a dark place? Like, did that? (laughs) Not initially, um, because. From that night, he kept telling me, I love you. I love the kids. I don't want to break up our family. I want us to work on our marriage. And honestly, our marriage wasn't bad per se. We got along really well because I never rocked the boat. Um, Mm -hmm. I had learned early on I would never win an argument. Mm -hmm. He could flip an argument so quick to make it all my fault. Mm -hmm. In the past, you know, we were a normal married couple for the first three years having regular sex. And then like a light switch, it just stopped. Mm -hmm. And I remember begging him. And I remember just asking him why, why are we not having sex anymore? This isn't normal. And we had just opened a business and he said, oh, it's just the strain of the business. And I was just like, "Mm, I know other married friends who are under a tremendous amount of stress, and that is not a manifestation Mm -hmm. of it. And then he told me that after having three kids, my body just wasn't the same. And so I Mm. drove an hour away to go to a pelvic floor physical therapist for two months. Mm-hmm. And for the physical therapist to say, this isn't a you issue, like this is not your problem. Yeah. Then he told me I had gained too much weight. I had gained 10 pounds in 10 years after three kids in five years. So, oh I mean, I gosh. popped my kids out back to back <laughs> and I gained 10 pounds. And so That's every nothing. time I, yeah, every time I um, 
questioned why we weren't having sex, he would flip it that it was my fault. Was fault. And I started believing it. I had just kind of come up in my mind. I had justified that, you know what, in every other spectrum, we get along great. Mm -hmm. We have great kids and I will just live in a sexless marriage. Mm -hmm. So that had become my normal. So in the weeks after the discovery, you know, he was very apologetic. He was, um, I could, he was very fearful I was going to leave him. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, you're still my husband. You're my best friend. I'm not going to walk away from you. You know, we are going to get through this. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was my mentality. Even finding out that my husband was gay, I still was so committed to our life. I was committed to our lifestyle, mm -hmm. to our family. And I absolutely adored him. Mm -hmm. I really did love him. Yeah. That's quite a story. I mean, that's a big thing to hear. And then being willing to stay. Did your identity and who you thought you were at that point play into your decision to stay? Absolutely. Um, one of the first things he said the night that I confronted him was don't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. And he made me swear to secrecy. And I swore I wouldn't because I was so ashamed. Mm -hmm. And for five months, I didn't tell a soul. And then finally, I just, I had to, mm -hmm. I, it, it just the pressure of that kind of secret and not having anyone to bounce ideas off of, or just to run something by, or I knew that he was manipulating me mm -hmm. and, but I couldn't put my finger on how mm -hmm. that makes me look like, or sound like the victim. And that's not what I'm trying to portray, no. but I knew it wasn't adding all up. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had seen the gradual shift from the day of discovery, even just two weeks later, he became hostile, he became angry, mm -hmm. and he became belligerent. And he told me that I don't really care about the family, because I'm not trying to help him. And I couldn't go to anybody. Yeah. He did tell me on the night of discovery that his entire family knew that he was gay. He had come out to them when he was in his 20s, and not one of them ever told me in 10 years of marriage. And we were mm. close to them. So it was like a double whammy of betrayal. It does feel like a betrayal. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, somebody told me the other day that oftentimes women stay in relationships that aren't real healthy because their partner, and maybe maybe men stay as this, for the same reason when this happens to them, but that their partner makes them believe that it's their fault. And when mm -hmm. intelligent women, right, mm -hmm. believe and, and especially real go-getters, and I can do anything people with, like you, when they yeah. believe it's their fault, they believe they can change things. Mm -hmm. And you have complete, if it's my fault, I have the ability to change and I have the ability to make things better. Because if I have control of this, if it's my fault and I'm in control of the situation, then I can change it. But it is crazy making, right? When it's, when it's mm -hmm. not your fault and you believe it is, because then you do all sorts of things. I didn't know what the term gaslighting meant until I started therapy. 
Absolutely. And that's exactly what he was doing. And it was so, it, it was those microaggressions. It was so subtle. Why don't you explain that to people who are listening? <laughs> so gaslighting, and, and you're the therapist, so you tell me. But well, I used to be a therapist, when, I'm not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gaslighting is when the abuser convinces their victim that everything is their fault. And it's not of, you know, it's not obvious. It's not saying, for instance, hey, honey, um, I misplaced my purse. Do you know where it is? You always misplace your purse. Why don't you go back to the last time you saw it? And it's, and it's not just the words, it's the tone. And it's the mm-hmm. condensation, you know, being very condescending and belittling. Mm-hmm. And then they walk you through and it makes such sense because they are master manipulators mm-hmm. and it makes such perfect sense that, oh, you know what? Why would you ever have looked at my purse? Why would you have ever seen my purse? You're right. I always leave it in my car. It's me. I'm such a dummy. Yeah. And it's something just as simple as just saying, oh, you know me, it's my brain, mm-hmm. you know, but it that's laying the foundation for later coming back and saying, no, Amy, I'm, I don't want to have sex with you. It's not because there's a problem with me. It's because you've gained too much weight. You've mm-hmm. had three children. Your body doesn't, you know, respond the same way that it did before. It doesn't feel the same way as it did before. So, you know, go to the pelvic floor physical therapist, get on Jenny Craig, and then we'll revisit this situation. Yeah. And it made sense. It was just enough truth to make me believe it. Mm-hmm. And that is one thing I saw and I continue to see all the way across this um, with my ex is that he always used just enough truth to make it believable. Mm-hmm. Your situation for sure is just, it's a story that I know there's so many women out there that have had the same story. But even if you take out just the details of the story, so many women live through that Mm -hmm. kind of abuse. abuse. Absolutely. It is abuse. It's absolutely abuse. And, you know, God is so good because right right before the discovery, right before June 7th, uh, I had had my middle daughter diagnosed and taken to a local university to be diagnosed because we suspected she had ADHD. So we had her diagnosed there and um, with ADHD and ODD, which is oppositional defiance disorder. And they recommended a handful of therapists mm-hmm. to better learn how to parent a child with ADHD and ODD because it's a game changer. Absolutely it is. So... Yeah. So um, they recommended several and I had asked a handful of my girlfriends and they said, oh, you need to go see this guy. He is fabulous. We love him. And I'm like, okay, done. So I went back and I told my ex-husband at the time, my husband, and I said, hey, I really think it would be beneficial if we went and saw this therapist as a family, just so we can learn how to better parent her, how she can better communicate with us. And you know, this, that, and the other. And he never had time. And he did work long, crazy hours, but he could have made time if he had wanted to. And so um, we ended up in family therapy the month 
of the discovery. Mm. And it worked out that we focused on my daughter for about four or five months. Cause remember I held on to that secret. Sure, for five months. <laughs> like it was, you know, just my lifeline. And finally, one day my therapist just said, something's not right. You are not your bubbly self. You have lost weight. You are depressed. I can tell what's going on. And it just like poured out of my sure. mouth. It was just like, you know, a volcano. Vomit. It's like vomiting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because I knew he was safe. Yeah. I knew he was reputable. I knew he was a good therapist. And you trusted him because you'd already. Yeah. I trusted him. Yeah. yeah. So God's just very strategically worked that out so beautifully. Mm. And that's the way God is. And as I look back over the last two years, I just see God's hand in everything. Oh. Um, during the six months of my knowing that my husband was gay and confronting his lies. You should have seen just the look of confusion and like, wait a minute, how do you know that? And I finally just told him, God told me because you are not being faithful, faithful husband. That's the thing here. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of complication to it. But for other women who are out there listening, I mean, this is just, he is being unfaithful to you at this. Mm -hmm. He was being unfaithful to you. He owed you something as his wife that he was giving somebody else. Absolutely. Like a man or a woman or whatever. It does. And I knew it. And I was grieving. Yeah. And it is, that is the sadness and the jealous yeah. like where where the like righteous jealousy comes you know mm -hmm. it is mine mm -hmm. to keep and i mine to be jealous about it's like righteousness like right. you know like good jealousy yeah. is, there's sometimes it's not good jealousy like i don't have what you have that kind of thing but this is like you own it and somebody mm -hmm. and he's giving and it to somebody else i remember else. just being I, I wasn't jealous. I was more hurt. I want to go back a little bit and um, just talk about that time that you're still in this, you know, you're in this event that's this experience that's changing you and you're right in the middle of it, you know, and I want to go back and talk about how it impacted your relationships. So your relationships with your, with your kids, your relationships with your family, and even, even the folks around you, your friends? Mm -hmm. Well, with my kids, it was business as usual. I do remember them overhearing them talk about mommy's red puffy eyes a lot. Mm -hmm. Because I think intrinsically, they knew mommy was not okay. Um, my friends, I have two particular friends, my best friend, Aaron, and then my other friend, Jill. Those two are probably my closest friends and they knew something wasn't up, wasn't right. And they kept pressing me like, Hey, something's not right. You don't have your pep in your step. You don't have the joy that you normally have. You're not as talkative as usual. You're very secretive. Mm -hmm. um, what is going on? You know, they just kept 
asking me and asking me. I, I would just tell my friends that my ex and I were just going through a thing and um, we were just trying to work it out. And then um, they would buy it for a little bit and then they would come back and be like, what's going on? And my parents, same thing. I'm very close to my family and they knew something was wrong, but I just wasn't telling them because I had become a master of the disguise of perfection. When you did tell them, what happened? I mean, how did they respond to you? Uh, when I first told my best friend, Erin, she actually, when I first told my friend, Jill, she was the first one I told outside. No, I got to take that back. I'm lying to you. All right. I told, I told um, our best friends, uh, James and Heather, they are pastors. And James had been our worship pastor at church and we had just grown like family. Do you have friends that are just family? And I mean, that's how they were like, they were the family that we chose. I, um, ultimately I just called James and Heather one night about 1130 at night and I just poured it out. And James said the same thing I felt when I first found out, he goes, well, that explains a lot. Hmm. Yeah. So I want to hear about your tribe. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about your tribe. Tell me, did you lose friends through this? I mean, when people go through divorce or separation or anything for one reason or another, oftentimes they lose friends and oftentimes they gain mm-hmm. friends. So I'm wondering, how did you kind of build a tribe through this and build your people and your community? And how was it? I mean, was it painful for you at all losing people or telling your story? Or you know, I didn't, I didn't really lose any friends that I was aware of. I did go through my social media and I unfollowed and unfriended a bunch of people because we live in a very small town. And once word hit the street that we had split up, a lot of people didn't know why yet, but they saw that our house was our brand new home that we had just built was up on the market for sale. Mm -hmm. So people knew there was trouble in paradise and my phone started blowing up. And these were your quote unquote friends on social media people I had gone to church with, people that I had done life with or gone to high school with or college or, you know, whatever. And you can very quickly discern who is genuinely concerned about you Mm -hmm. and who just wants the scoop. And so I went through and I cut everybody out. And then when the ones that came back to me and texted me or private messaged me or DM'd me when they reached out and said, Hey, I noticed we're not friends on Facebook anymore or Instagram or whatever. I'm really concerned about you. I love you. And no matter what you're going through, I'm here. I would friend them back. So very slowly, I started adding those people back into my virtual life. Um, I was very careful about who I told, Mm -hmm. but my tribe, it came, it, it's kind of crazy because these aren't the women and the men that I would have 
thought would have been my tribe. Mm. And my best friend, Erin, I mean, she's my ride or die. So she was there with me from the beginning. We've been best friends since we were 10. And she's an incredible woman of God. She spoke life into me when I had no life. Yeah. It's beautiful to have a friend like that who knows you and is there to speak truth to you. Yeah. And then my friend, Jill, who is a physician, she recognized all my signs and symptoms for clinical depression. And Mm -hmm. she was the one that prescribed my antidepressant for me because I got to the point where I went to her office one day and I told her, I was like, I need to be committed into a mental hospital Mm -hmm. because I'm losing my mind. She knew the story. She knew what was going on by that point. And she never freaked out. Like, I'm that friend. When you tell me something shocking, I'm going to be like, what? No, no way. Mm -mm, Not Jill. (laughs) She was like, hmm, okay. Because she is a physician. She's Mm -hmm. very analytical. Mm -hmm. She breaks things down in a different way. I'm very emotional. She is not. And she shelves the emotion for a little bit. And then she looks at it more from a um, clinical perspective perspective, which I just think is hilarious sometimes. But she and her wisdom and her ability to remove the emotional quotient from it sometimes has saved my tail when reacting to my ex. I love that. So you have a good tribe. I do. And of course, my parents, oh my goodness, I have parents that I wish everybody had. And my parents can drive me crazy like anybody's parents. But they were there the night that my ex left and they haven't gone anywhere. Like they are here for me and they have been such a wonderful example of how I need to love my children. That's super, super hard to do as parents, but how great is that? So I'm going to ask another question about a lesson that you have learned going through this experience that you might not have learned any other way. Maybe a lesson about yourself, a lesson about your support system, or a lesson about just life in general? Yeah, forgive. Forgive. You have to forgive. Yeah. I have always been one that hangs on to grudges. Mm -hmm. And I will remember what you did to me 15 years from now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've always been that way. Yeah. One thing I have learned in all of this, and I don't care if you're a Christian or not, you have to have to have to learn to forgive. Absolutely. If you don't, I mean, it will literally eat you alive like a cancer. Mm-hmm. I did not want to become a bitter, hateful woman that was still talking about it mm-hmm. 15, 20 years later. I did not want my children to not want to be around me because mommy never could get over what daddy did. Yeah. I wanted my joy back Mm -hmm. and it was stealing my joy. Mm -hmm. It was robbing me of the life I wanted to live. I knew that I absolutely could not move forward without forgiving him. You know, forgiveness is totally not about the person you forgive most of the time. It's about you and it's for you. And so that you can move forward. And so you can be healthy and you can find joy again. And you, I mean, not forgiving and holding on to that pain and that uh, 
that yuckiness of, you know, what other people have done to you, that Mm -hmm. does, I mean, we were just created to make that not okay in our bodies and our brains and our our emotions and every part of our being starts dying without forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, it's systemic. It really is. So that's wonderful. I mean, I someday we'll have to hear about how you got to a place of forgiveness. But what I want to kind of move on to right now is if you would go back to yourself and you could go back there to yourself before all of this stuff changed, like before you were popping that popcorn, what would you tell yourself? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And ride your horse more. Okay. Go ride your horse more and it's going to be okay. My, my daughter and I, we have horses and we love to ride and we trail ride. We don't do a lot of showing or anything, but we live right here in the mountains. And sure. so we have them in our back door practically. And one thing that has kept me sane in the separation mm-hmm. has been just going out into the mountains and riding my horse mm-hmm. and getting lost sometimes. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, drawing with my daughter at the kitchen table, just being present. I was so busy being busy that and working full time and giving off this illusion of the perfect life. That's exhausting. It's exhausting. Now I'm able to play Beyblades with my son and, you know, embroider with my middle child and go out into the riding arena and ride my horse with my oldest. And I'm able to just to spend the time that I need and they need, yeah. you know, together. Okay. So I want to hear what are the top three things that people going through any big life change need to know? God is going to use your pain. Okay. He's not going to waste it. You're going to redeem your pain. Yeah. You feel like right now you're losing everything. Give it a year or two. Give it some time and things will be all right. Give it some time. And don't cut your bangs. Don't cut your bangs. I cut my bangs. I was so upset. (laughs) I love this. And I was just so angry. And my bangs were just a little bit too long. And I was crying because I was so upset about everything going on in my life. Mm -hmm. And each hiccup. I would cut a little higher. Oh dear. And I ended up looking crazy. So do not cut your bangs while you're grieving. Okay. That's a really good skill. That needs to be a meme right there. It it does. (laughs) And I think even like we should say that during quarantine, do not cut your bangs. Do not cut your bangs and don't make any major life decisions. Which like cutting bangs. Grieving. There you go. Um, I was trying so hard to move out of this area because I was so humiliated and shamed. And I tried getting a job in another big city about three hours north, and that didn't end up happening. And I thank God that it didn't happen because once you get over the shock and once people start finding out the truth and your story, I have been just absolutely in awe of the empathy and the love and the support I have received from people that I thought would be the biggest 
judgers, you know, the mm-hmm. ones that were like, mm, I knew that everything wasn't fine, mm-hmm. but they have been the ones that have reached out the most and have been absolutely sincere. I love that. I love that story. And I don't care if you find out your husband's gay or you find out your husband's having an affair with a woman, the betrayal is the same. You still have a sense of incredible shame associated with it. Mm-hmm. And it's not your shame. It's theirs. Mm. That is not a coat you need to wear. Those are good words right there. Yeah, because I mean, I had to learn that the hard way because I just, I wore the coat of shame for many, many months mm. until finally it got so heavy. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Well, thank you so much. I have three more questions for you that I ask everybody on mm-hmm. my podcast. But before sure. that, I want to have you tell us a little bit about how people can can get a hold of you, how they can look you up on online, uh, what you're doing in your professional stuff right now to redeem your suffering. I have a blog at www.nopartmissing.com. And I chose No Part Missing as the name of the blog because we are not halves of our ex-husbands or ex-wives. We are whole in Christ. And so there is no part missing. So you can read my blog and my journey at nopartmissing.com. And I am launching a course on how to go through divorce with integrity and grace and at the end, forgiveness. And I'm going to be having some other courses coming down the pike, but they can uh, go on to my blog and look for it there or and they can sign up and subscribe so that when I send out the email that it's coming, they'll be the first to know. Great. I will put all of those links in the show notes so people can can click Great. right on those. And is there anywhere they find you on social media or? Yes, I am on Facebook, No Part Missing. I do have a Facebook page called No Part Missing. And okay. um, that's where I interact with people and people can interact with me. I also have a closed group called No Part Missing. And it is very specifically for women who have gone through infidelity and are either in the process of leaving their husbands or their husbands leaving them or through the divorce process. And so that's all on Facebook and then no part missing on Instagram. Good. So here's my three questions I ask everybody. Tell us, and you might've already told us this, but maybe there's something else you want to talk to us about. Tell us an event in your life that changed you? When my best friend, Erin, when I was talking to her about something awful my ex had done, she said, you do realize that God loves him as much as he loves you. And even though intrinsically, I knew that, Mm -hmm. but for her to say it, wow. So that really just stopped me in my tracks. That changed you. Yeah. Okay. Now this is the next one is a person that changed you. Jesus. For a lot of reasons, I know. Um, And the last one is a book that changed you. Hmm. I have a couple. During the time that I knew that my husband was gay and we were trying to work on it, I read Lisa Turkhurst's book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And that just really ministered to me. 
and Corey Ten Boom's hiding place. That just lets you know that you are not forgotten and that he sees you and he's going to use you. I'll put all of those in the show notes. It was so good to get to meet you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm sure we will talk again very, very soon. I look forward to it. I'm so glad that I had a chance to talk with Amy about her story and how she is growing through the pain and not just being shut down by it. The thing that keeps coming to my mind as I think about the interview was the impact of forgiveness in her life. The idea of forgiving someone who betrays your trust to that level is so counterintuitive to our brains. And it would never happen, seriously, without intentionally finding a way to let go of that pain. I have heard before that forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Did you hear that? It's giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. That is just hard. And most of the time, I just really don't want to do it. I want to see justice and even implement my own justice so I can see it. But forgiveness means letting go of all of that and not necessarily for the other person. As a matter of fact, it's rarely for the other person. Letting go of my right to hold on to anger makes me less angry. And it brings me peace. It frees me from the chains that I have created to hold on to that righteous anger. And I would like to say here that it is impossible to do it all at once. Forgiveness is a process. And when it's done well, it's done in layers, not all at once. You think you've done it, but then over time, something else pops up and you have to let go of that anger and that hurt. Not for them, but for you. To free your heart to move forward. To make room for other people and for joy. Because it's impossible to experience joy, real joy, when you're holding on to resentment and anger for anyone or anything in your life. You need to let that stuff go. I also want to say here, though, that forgiveness does not mean that you need to partner with someone again. People believe that to completely forgive means that you go back to the way it was before the pain. And that's just not true. You could absolutely forgive someone and let go of the hurt and anger for what they did to you, but not ever enter into a partnership with them again. If they are not safe or healthy, or they are just people that you don't want in your life, then honor both. Honor your need to forgive and your need to be in healthy, growing relationships. Forgiveness is for you. It is vital to the emotional health of every person, and we all need to do it, and we all need to receive it. So who do you need to forgive? Do what you need to do to figure out how to let it go. Let it go over and over and over. And when you need to do it again, do it again. It will be the best and most kind thing that you have ever done for yourself. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes. 
And you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.